0: friends and thanks for listening to moon tower soccer on today's show we're going to share the latest in austin fc news and we're also going to talk about the first game we we got to see live which is la copita versus houston dynamo uh, and then later on we're also going to share an interview that we did with our new colleague at the striker but old friend phil west with some 2021 mls season predictions my name is landon codum and i'm joined as always by mr jeremiah bentley hey everybody i'm Jeremiah Bentley.
1: Um. Landon we did a l- we did a live show, or I guess kind of we did a live tweet thing on Thursday. How'd you feel about that?
0: Uh, it was fun. It was kind of a little test we Neither of us are are social media gurus, but uh we're gonna try to find some ways to to kind of bring some midweek content every once in a while, and so I think we'll probably do some more of that but um it's also there's so much to talk about these these days that our show notes end up way too long and we don't get to talk about half the stuff so it'll be a fun place to get to talk about some of these more fun topics that we don't have time to do in the show anymore
1: yeah i feel like that's a good spot for me to have like really strong opinions that i don't necessarily want to be recorded for forever (laughs) so if i want to trash certain local restaurants i'm not excited about i can just do that on twitter live and then it's kind of gone
0: yeah uh how is the you also to follow up on a twitter joke you Oh no! A joke from the last episode. You had a four loco during the epi- during the the Twitter live stream as well. How did how did that go for you?
1: Yeah, it was awful. It tasted like regret <laughs> and bad decision. So it was a four loco gold. So so I took so we had that show. I took with the boys to see Godzilla versus King Kong that night. I couldn't drink that whole four loco because it was fourteen percent alcohol, and I would not have been able to drive. So I put it in the refrigerator after like three drinks. And uh five days later it went back, and it tasted exactly just as bad as it did before, <laughs> so it doesn't age well. but then one thing I also noticed is that, according to the can, that is four servings of four loco so you you should only drink six ounces at a time if you look at the nutrition on the back, which I would agree with after experiencing <laughs> about four ounces of it
0: it's it's I think alcohol and volume wise it's like drinking an entire bottle of wine, which is An entire bottle of very bad artificially flavored wine, which is not a good idea. But um, I'm glad you survived and that um, and that, uh, yeah, you made it through that experience. Me too. I feel like
1: it did a good job of cleaning out the drain with the second half of the can, which is where the rest of it went.
0: (laughs) We're going to talk about the the first game of La Copita versus Houston. Um, We're both out of town for it. And weren't entirely sure how we were gonna to get to watch it because they kind of had geofences around where you could watch it. Um, I think you end up using some some maybe questionable methods to be able to watch it. I did. Um, I mean,
1: I I used the what was ahead of me. So I, I managed to watch it through well, I
0: don't know if I want to give this away. Never mind. I found a way to watch it. I found a way to watch it using my laptop. Did you? Uh, yeah. So I was in Houston, actually. So it's uh, our three-year wedding anniversary. And so we took a trip to uh, the faraway land of Houston, Texas, and just went to a bunch of museums, which is really nice. Um, but because I was in Houston, it was I was geofenced for the Houston feed. And I was kind of thinking I was going to end up like listening to Glenn Davis or someone Call the game on the Houston feed, but they ended up actually just playing the Austin feed on the Houston Dynamo website. So I still got to listen to Adrian Healy and Michael LaHood. and so that was really nice to to get kind of the same experience. Um, before jumping into the game, what did you think of of kind of the broadcast experience with Healy and LaHood?
1: Well, now that now that I know that I can like, I managed to convince my computer I was in Houston, so I watched the exact same feed oh. that you did. <laughs> off the dynamo website and i had the same worry. and glenn davis is awesome and like a wonderful person and a really good announcer but um it was good to hear the dynamic and they i feel like they sounded really comfortable i mean i, I knew what to expect out of adrian healy but i've never heard Mike Lahoud, and you know i didn't they, they just seemed to fit well together yeah, yeah. They, had, they had good banter they had it wasn't like the first time they'd ever sat in a booth for a live broadcast together
0: yeah totally agree i i thought if you would have told me that this is the first, I mean, and they, I think they did some UT games earlier this year as well. So not the absolute first, but they haven't been doing it very long together. So I think they're only going to get better from here, but a really strong start for sure. And having watched some re- regional broadcasts of MLS games, I think we are extremely lucky, lucky to have these two guys uh, that are going to be calling those games. Cause they're, they're pretty good at what they do. Um, let's jump into the game. Um, so, Austin ended up losing 3-2 to the Dynamo. Uh, what were your overall impressions of the game, Jeremiah? Uh,
1: for me, so I think it just reinforced a lot of what, for the most part, especially to the negative side of things, like it reinforced the thing that I was worried about the most, and a lot of people were worried about the most. Because um, I know we're not supposed to overreact to like the first preseason match, but the, you know the concern about the center backs and like, whether we have two quality MLS first, you know, first 11 level um, players there, I think, you know, the outcome like maybe even more concerned about that was than that was before. And, but you know, to the good, like the fact that we seem to have a lot of depth and attack and can threaten from everywhere with a bunch of different players, including some guys that came on and only played, you know, 20, 25 minutes, I think, you know, sort of also reinforced that general impression that we have. So I think, You know, for me, that's what it seemed like. It's just our strengths, the perceived strengths and weaknesses going in still continue to appear to be our strengths and weaknesses. Do you have a different
0: take on it? No. Yeah, I I agree with all that. And I think a lot of the some of the finer points that I wanted to make will mostly come up in talking through the goals of the game. Um, So let's let's before we get into running through the major events of the game, let's go through the starting 11. So I actually nailed it. And when we picked our 11s with Joe Lowry, it was exactly the 11 that I picked. So Tarbell in goal, uh, Ben Sweat left back, Beasler and Romagna at center back, Limon at right back, Alex Ring at the six. And this is in a, a 4-3-3. So Ring at the six, Pochettino and Pereira at those free eight slash uh, 10, 10 rolls there. Then Cecilio, Housen, and Redis along the front line. Um the, it was we were kind of waiting to see exactly how they would play that 4-3-3, but it was about how you'd expect them to. There was not a lot of weird stuff happening with those fullbacks like tucking in or anything. You would see Ben Sweat occasionally. Um, if if Cecilio was was staying out wide, you would see Sweat occasionally kind of move inside as we were building possession. Uh, but for the most part, the fullbacks were overlapping fullbacks um, and the whole team was pushing pretty high in possession. So you'd see Biesler and Romagna past the the halfway line uh, kind of as part of the buildup and attack and as part of the possession play. So um, for me, that part of it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Uh, and then you would see Pereira and Pochettino kind of float out wide as the ball was on their side. And so if you've watched um, a Berhalter men's national team game it's it's a lot of the same tactics uh, offensively and defensively I felt as well so uh, we were counter pressing when we lose the ball we would press pretty hard or on like a restart but then it wasn't like uh like a New York Red Bulls type of full-on press uh, all the time it was just in kind of key moments pressing but for the most part with a a fairly high block and settling into like a mid mid to high block um whenever they are building building up in the the attack but uh so were you surprised or was there any any part of the starting lineup that that you were surprised by or interested in
1: No it's uh, honestly I wrote this question in the outline so that you could take credit for getting all the it right? <laughs> that's, that's the whole reason I had it in there I wanted I wanted to serve that up for you Thanks, so, Jeremiah. so you did you did a good you did a good job I on that I appreciate it No
0: Um, yeah, so let's, I think now let's just kind of go through, go through kind of the events of the game. So early on, uh, Houston was pressing us pretty aggressively, especially on, on restarts, um, as we built in, in possession and kind of moved up the field, they settled into like a pretty condensed, uh, block there in their own, uh, defensive third, but then on restarts, or if we were starting deeper, deeper in the field, they were pressing us really aggressively. Um, and we did not always handle it super well. I think there were probably six or seven major defensive collapses that could have turned into goals. Uh, and only three of them ended up turning into goals. It could have been more for sure. And the, the first half ended 1 0. It could have been 2 1, 3 1 if Houston had a few breaks go their way or if, like they had finished off plays a little bit smarter, but that one goal by Austin, which was in the 16th minute was a banger. It was amazing. Uh, Tomas Pochettino took a free kick in the 16th minute and it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. How, how do you describe this goal, Jeremiah? It was just, it was like watching a video game. I mean, like
1: the keeper guessed right. It was just, he placed it in a spot that you just, in a spot with a curve on the ball in like two different directions that there was just no defense against. It was amazing. I would i call it messy esque. How about that? Yeah. That's the best was, description.
0: As as close it was top right corner. Uh keeper had no chance. There was no way the keeper was ever gonna get to that. And it was like as close to both posts, like the crossbar and the right post as you could get without touching them. Uh but it was it was really nice. And so the the game level uh footage it looked really good. It looked like a really good goal, but then Austin FC had some like the more artistic field level stuff for some of the highlights. And there was an angle from directly behind him, and you could you can see the swerve on the ball and the keeper diving and like how close it gets to both posts. It's it was an extremely impressive goal. So a uh, really good start for for Pochettino there for sure, but it uh, it didn't continue to go as well. Um, there's some some good. Offensive moments in possession, but there's also uh a long stretches where Austin couldn't keep the ball in the attacking half. They would get pushed back pretty deep and would win the ball back and then lose it almost immediately so kind of that transition from defense back into attack wasn't always there there wasn't always options for people uh which will lead to some of the stuff we're going to talk to here in a little bit but um yeah, it was. Still, some some highlights there as far as the build up and kind of combination with with the midfielders moving the ball around, but uh, long stretches where we struggled to do anything really. Uh, is there any anything else that you wanted to point out in the first half there?
1: No, I think that was good. I feel like Tarbell had a lot better first half than second half. You know that he he was one of the he 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 helped in keeping it from getting too bad in the first half. I don't know if he just got worn down or you know, the communication sort of fell apart or whatever, but you know, I feel like it was a, it was a totally different game from him between the first and second half.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So moving on to the second half, there were no changes at halftime, which is something that I was interested to see, like how much rotation were, were they going to go for? Um, both teams sent out the same 11s in the second half, uh, and think it was the 54th minute when Houston scores their first goal. So, um, it was, I, I don't, I was watching the replay and I don't remember how this actually happened, but a ball ends up, a loose ball ends up kind of getting dinked over the back line from the top of the box and Romagna's Romagna turns and is chasing it. And he probably could have just put a foot in it before it bounced, but he lets it bounce and Pico sneaks through and gets on the ball. And then Tarbelk is coming out towards him. And then Romagna is also running towards him. Um, and then Pico somehow gets it past them and just kind of like the ball just slowly rolls into the goal. I think Picot is trying to hit it hard and kind of scuffed it, which may have been some of the misdirection, but, um, there should have been some better communication there. Either Tarbell should have, should have called off Romagna so he could really charge at it, but both of them went for it and neither of them got there in time to actually do anything about it. So not great there. Um, I think it was two minutes later, uh, the second Houston goal where um uh let me make sure I'm getting my goals. Yeah, that's right that here. one. That was the one where Beasler uh
1: Oh just, yeah, yeah so he just kicked the ball straight straight into um one of the guys
0: for the Dynamo. I don't, I don't remember who. It was uh Vera, I think the defensive midfielder. But um yeah, it was one of the many moments where Austin was playing the ball out of the back and they looked very dedicated to doing this, right? Like anytime the ball was deep, even on like goal kicks, sometimes they were playing it short and we're going to play it out of the back. Um, I think. Beisler ended up kind of running way out wide. Uh, ring gets it like at the top of the box and passes it to Beisler way out wide, which means there's nobody in that center back position that, that Beisler just left. Beesler one-touches it, tries to one-touch it up the line to sweat, but it ends up going directly to a Houston Dynamo player. He settles it, crosses it into who who is standing where Beesler would have been in his normal positioning. Um, and he was wide open. Uruti one-times it, and it was a really nice finish by Aruti Kind of a blind turn one-time finish, which is a really good finish. But he was in a lot of space in the box with nobody near him so even if he he would have had time to settle it and and take another shot and uh, take a shot there if he wanted to um i think in this one so this is a moment where i wanted to bring up uh, an observation we were talking in uh, the striker slack group with chris bills and He brought up something and I was like literally typing the exact same thing at the exact moment. But I think he wrote it in his uh, his article about this for the striker and then talked about it in the MLS striker podcast. But he mentioned uh, Greg Berhalter in his early days with the United States national team was uh, was just like telling his team play out of the back no matter what. And even if it's a bad idea, keep it on the ground, pass it out of the back. And was like doing it to the detriment of the good of the team. Like they lost games because of that. And I think it was a, a way that he was going to like just put these players under pressure, put them, throw them in the fire and say, okay, fight your way out of it now. it. I got the feeling that Wolf told the Austin players that same thing on that day. That um, regardless of what's happening, how bad the position you're in, play it out of the back. You're going to pass it out of the back. Just to to kind of get used to doing that, to do it in situations where you wouldn't normally be comfortable doing it. I think Matt Beasley is an experienced enough player that under normal circumstances, when Alex Ring plays him that ball and he's way out of position and knows that there's a big hole that he just left behind him, he kicks that to the moon. Like that, that yeah. ball doesn't touch the ground again. And I think in this circumstance, because of how they were playing that whole that whole game, just always keeping it on the ground. I think he tries to one touch it to, to sweat because of that. Um, Beazler is the kind of player that he, he knows what to do in that situation. Right. So, um, that's, that's something that kind of brings me a little bit of comfort with this game is that they are doing things to kind of push themselves out of their comfort zone that whenever we're playing LAFC or we're playing in actual competition, I think Beasler skies that ball. I think he, he kicks it to the moon. Um, so I think again, not, not a great play, but also something I don't think we should read too much into the next goal was in the 71st minute. Um, ring is kind of pushing the ball into the forward in the midfield, uh, loses the ball. The ball falls to Aruti, who turns and very quickly, uh, plays it kind of blindly. And Beesler had actually as Ring lost the ball and it fell to Aruti, Beasler charges forward to put Aruti under pressure, and which was, I think, the right call in the moment to keep a, a quick counterattack from going. But Aruti turns very quickly and just launches it, just knowing that Fafa Pico is super fast and that he's hoping that he's going to beat whoever's there. Um, Cascante was pushed up pretty high and was tracking Pico, but uh, Pico is always going to win that foot race. Uh, Pico beats him runs around the edge is one on one with Tarbell ends up megging Tarbell for the goal. Um I think in that situation there's a few things that that could have been done better but uh Cascante needs to just foul him, right? Like he just needs to even before before Pico gets on the ball, he should be able to look back and see that like okay, Beesler charged forward, I'm by myself. There's nobody else here. He should have just put a shoulder into Pico while he's trying to win the ball. And if he gets the ball and they don't call anything, great, it's ours. If they call the foul, great ball stops and we get the restart. um, so I think that's that's a thing that um I don't know. I think cascante's experienced enough that he should know better than that, but I would imagine he'll be putting in a tactical foul in that in that situation the next time it happens to him.
1: Yeah, I would hope so. He was surprisingly slow, I mean, I guess I knew he was slow, but he was really slow. On I a was surprised balls. by
0: that as well. He looked that play specifically. He did not look like he was moving super well.
1: Yeah. You did miss, you did miss one goal before. Oh, that Did one. I?
0: Yeah. We had a, we had a brief moment of hope. Oh yeah. In between yeah, those. We, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. We were down two one. And then like, honestly, both of our goals were beautiful. And that this in a very different way was, was a really good goal because it was, uh, it was sort of the upside of this system. Um, And it was the one where, you know, Ring was your defensive midfielder is way downfield, right? And put a shot on goal that the keeper um blocked but kind of made a mess of. And then Rodney Redis' diving header was like beautiful. Just his commitment, his commitment to realizing the situation and his opportunity and and making that happen and not trying to do something else, but just like going all out effort to put a head on the ball when an open net I thought was amazing
0: yeah yeah the it it looked like an easy finish but it was not like it's one that he should have finished but it was not a it was not a super easy one to do the ball was moving pretty quickly and he had to react pretty quickly uh and he he did great reacted really well put his head on it and stuck it in the back of the net but um, I think the build up to that goal was was encouraging as well. I don't remember if it was a corner or like some type of restart over in the austin's left corner there um but there was some like nice i think it was a short corner it was um that's all their corners were every corner was a short corner were they right? okay yeah yeah all every every single one of them yeah i didn't yeah, I didn't notice that, but yeah, now that thinking back, I don't remember any any long balls in um even like kind of the like the non-shot free kicks were some type of like misdirection or like several of them were were kind of touches into another space for another another kind of cross. But um, but yeah, Pereira and Ring kind of combined to get uh, Ring into that spot where he was and nobody closed him down. So he pushes into that space and hits the ball super hard. And like you said, the, the keeper stopped it, but it was moving too hard and kind of had a knuckle on it. Uh, that there was no way he was going to catch it, and so yeah, put, the keeper just does his best to put a body on it, and it falls to falls to Redis for that goal. So yeah, that was uh, definitely a bright spot. Sorry for for <laughs> moving past that. <laughs> I guess I'm being too pessimistic today.
1: <laughs> that's that's fine. That's fine. Um, so who who impressed you? I, or you know, I guess I'm I'm mostly interested in like who impressed you that maybe outside of what you were expecting you like who who was really really good or who was really really bad outside of what you what you believe would happen.
0: Yeah, so I think the ones that that we like believed would happen, I think the only one that I was like absolutely sure was going to look really good was Alex Ring and he did. Like Alex Ring was running the game when he had the ball in the midfield uh and then put out some fires defensively as well in transition. He kind of chased some chase some balls back and put them out for corners when they're in pretty dangerous positions and, and cut some stuff out early. Um, I thought Pochettino looked solid for the most part. That goal was great, but I think also just uh in kind of possession and build up and connection, he was he was solid. I thought Lima was solid. Um again, I, I talked about last week how I wasn't entirely sold on Rodney Redes yet. Rodney Redes looked good. Uh we saw all of the work that like that work rate that he showed at Guarani, but not really contributing a lot to the attack when he was back at Guarani. He did that today. He showed some really smart movement, uh, got on the ball in some dangerous spots um, was in the right place at the right time for that goal and, and, and reacted well for it. But I I thought he looked really solid. Um, And then is there anybody else that I'm missing that, that kind of stood out that looked good?
1: Yeah, for me, I, there were two of the subs that looked particularly good, and one was John Gallagher. Um, you know, he really made a difference in in his twenty what uh, it's like twenty five ish minutes. Yeah, something like um, that. He looked he he looked a lot more dangerous than than Houston did. Um, you know, maybe it's because of service for Houston or whatever. You know that that he didn't look that way, but you know he was a threat. He was working hard. He was running hard. He seemed like a guy that was like wanting to impress the coach and win a position, which is awesome and I thought Mane was a lot of the same you know uh late in the game when we were down three two I think you know Mane shows some really good ball skills and he had a good shot that you know had had it gone slightly differently he could have he could have drawn the game at three two so I was really I was really impressed to see see what he had to offer too in the attack so I think that shows the kind of um the kind of depth the depth that we have that they could come on late and make a difference and hopefully they'll be able to do that during
0: the season too yeah, I think we talked end up talking about this with Phil West in the interview, but Mane, I, I'm really excited to see what Mane can do is off the bench. Um, kind of he's a really busy player, uh, dribbly fast, and I think he could really do some damage to some tired leg defenses late in game. So yeah, that was that was encouraging. Talking about Gallagher, so Gallagher came in at the nine, which is I think in the preseason games we had seen him on the left wing in some of the little highlight reels that the team had released. Um, we knew he could play the nine. He played there for Atlanta some last season. Uh, but I was, I was kind of surprised to see him be the first option off the bench. But the reason that is, um, he was playing the position pretty differently to how Houston was doing. You would see Houston drop in really deep to pick up the ball sometimes to kind of start the play, like the build up play in midfield. He would go so deep that he was receiving the ball from a center back sometime like around the around midfield and then would turn and play it to a midfielder and then run back forward. Gallagher was stretching that back line. There's a few really dangerous balls in behind that players played to him. Um, and so I, I I liked having that option of speed running in behind. Um, as far as like the, the normal number nine stuff that who is almost definitely better than him at, um, Having someone like that, just like that speedy option, just to stretch the back line, I think that's a, a good option to have. So I thought, yeah, I agree. I think he looked he looked pretty good. Um What about Ceci- so who looked? I was going to ask who who looked worse than you thought, and I think you probably started
1: to answer that question.
0: Yeah. So Cecilio, um, he didn't necessarily even look bad. I think early in the game he didn't get on the ball very much. They were playing the ball up the right hand side more times than not. Um, Pochettino and Pereira ended up switching sides at one point. And I don't, I, I watched for a while to see if it was intentional or if they just happened to end up there, but they stayed on the, the switched sides for a long time after that. So I don't know if they were trying to change some things up to get one of them on the ball more to try to get Cecilia the ball more, but he didn't get on the ball very much at all. And then when he did get on it, it didn't really get a chance to do anything useful. Um, wasn't in in very useful positions. And then sometimes just didn't really do much with it when he got it. And then later in the game, he, I think he ended up coming off like he was one of the later subs. Um But I feel like he was trying to like maybe force it a little bit and trying to like bring the game to himself a little too much at that point, because I think he knew he had had kind of a disappointing game and was trying to push, push himself upon it a little bit more, which is again, not it's, it's also not a super encouraging thing to see because we want. I, I think if this team's going to be successful, it's going to be based on Josh Wolf's system. Uh, if if he's trying to put together this system team, if we have a player who's kind of just like just going to do what he wants to try to make this work, maybe that's not the greatest thing in the world. It's very early, um, and there was a lot of disjointed things in the attack, like you said before. Hussein, I don't know that he got the best service. I don't think th- there was not a lot of really um cohesive movements in the front and the in the attacking part of the the field. So um I'm not gonna judge him too hard for that. Uh same with Cecilio. I'm not gonna judge him too hard. It's a new system. He's his first game against MLS competition. So um it's not a super encouraging sign from him, but I'm also not going to say that he's a complete wash yet. I, I think we're very far from making any kinds of judgment like that yet. It, yeah, I think that's 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 very
1: true, and for me, when we talked about Cascante, you know, um, being surprisingly slow, and like R- Romagna. I mean, he was kind of a mess, but we again, it's his first MLS competition period, and he showed some of the things that we that we liked about him and showed some of the things that we're worried about, and I don't think that that was out of line with expectations. Um, yeah, uh, at all. going
0: back to Cascante and Romagna, uh, Romagna played. Uh, Whenever Houston was pressing high and putting that back line under pressure, Romagna played some really sloppy balls out of the back that ended up turning over. And I mentioned the six or seven collapses that happened. Romagna was was responsible for a handful of those on his own just from kind of sloppy passes under pressure. So, um again, new system. He's not played in this kind of... This kind of system before, so hopefully that's something that he can pick up and and do better because he does have a lot of skills that are going to be really useful in this league. But if he can't play the way that Wolf wants him to, then it doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, that's true. So, um, I wanted to add, uh, or or transition to the Houston perspective. So, uh, pulled a quote from our colleague Victor Ureita, uh about the Houston Dynamo off season because if I'm your average Austin, Austin FC fan who just watched us sort of crumble under pressure to the league, the team that was the, the last place team in the Western conference, um, last season, I might be a little bit worried. So do you want to, uh, you want to talk a little bit about what Victor
0: had to say about the match and why we maybe shouldn't be quite as stressed as we, we are. Yeah. So, um, listening, uh, reading Victor's Victor's article, and then also listening to the MLS, uh, the striker MLS podcast. um, whenever the Houston lineup came out, I was thinking like, Oh, this isn't necessarily their, their best 11 coming out right now. And after listening to Victor, he kind of thinks that it could be like, maybe there's a, one of the center backs he thinks will end up, uh, end up not being the guy. And then maybe Tyler Pasher on that right wing ends up uh, losing a spot to someone. But for the most part, he thinks this could be their starting eleven. Um, so I thought that was interesting to see. um but then i I think something that I've noticed is that the two guys that hurt us a lot were Aruti and Pico, who are two new additions to that team. also uh two guys who are were really dangerous in this game on the counter attack uh and that was with us pushing high pushing so high and then also being so dedicated to playing the ball on the ground out of the back it was yeah i I think it was just like a recipe for disaster that that Houston was able to take advantage of and and punish us for,
1: yeah, so, yeah we played we played their strengths and i mean they're gonna they're gonna be better for sure they they've had a really strong off season, and i don't I don't know how much better, but you know if you're looking at an expansion club that's never taken the field before you know against an improving side, hopefully that's that's some um some piece in that. And you know, on Wednesday we'll have a chance to really evaluate everything that we've talked about so far, uh, and maybe have a whole fresh set of opinions for next week's show next week's <laughs> yeah. show. So for what's up next in La Copita, which we're currently I think we are third out of four. Is that right? I think uh, we're
0: doing better in San Antonio. That's yeah, that 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 should be right. Three out of four. Yeah. Yep, so we'll be on the road
1: in Frisco uh playing uh FC Dallas. Sorry, is that on Thursday? Um I wrote Thursday. It's and Wednesday. I'm now less confident. Wednesday, okay. So I should read my own notes. Yes. On Wednesday, yeah, and FC Dallas got a strong start uh taking it in San Antonio FC five to one. So I mean, do you have any early thoughts on that or should we just wait and see what happens?
0: Yeah, I have no idea. I think one um one thing that you wanted to bring up talking about uh, Josh Wolf's pre-match press conference is that he mentioned last week in the press conference before the game that we would see uh, we would get to see a lot of players, right? Because they have unlimited substitutions. I think we saw seven or eight subs in this game against Houston. Um, Do we think we're going to see the same starting 11 against Dallas?
1: I don't think we. I think we will see a different starting eleven against Dallas. I mean, there's a couple. There's a couple spots where another competition where I would expect to see something different. Like I, I would. I would like to know what the, um, Beasler Cascante looks like from the start. Right. That seems like a logical one. You know, I feel like there's an open competition between um, Tarbell and Stuvers. So maybe Stuvers and Goal. You know, as far as forwards go, it's you know, it's the up the field. I think we're pretty well set. Um, so I wouldn't
0: expect to see those to change. But what, what do you think about that? No, I, I completely agree. I, I I could see a couple of spots getting changed out, um, center back being one. Um, but I also think like this isn't a standard preseason thing. Josh Wolf is trying to kind of settle these guys in together. Um, I would expect to see most of the same starting 11 just so they can get reps. They can kind of practice some of the stuff they're working on. Uh, they can they'll be able to watch film of this game versus Houston and kind of uh correct some things and then get to go out and put them into practice against Dallas this week. So I would honestly expect to see most of the same starting eleven with the the spots that you mentioned specifically. I think uh center back who's who's gonna play next to, to Beasler there. And then depending on how close the competition is at keeper, um if Josh Wolf actually thinks that uh Stuver or one of the other guys is pushing tarbell for that starting spot um i could see them playing the other one there but if tarbell is the favorite right now i could see him leaving him in just to get more reps with that back line and have yeah, them him get the more comfortable together
1: yeah that makes sense and, and especially if, if it's like a changed back line and tarbell's the guy then you want to let him see see what he looks like in front of in front of
0: everyone um is there anything else about the game you want to cover before we move on to some of the notes from the press conference last week No, I think I think
1: we looked at it, you know, in depth. Um, I look forward to seeing the next one and being able to react
0: to that. And again, continue to be really excited about talking about soccer. Yeah. And for um, Jeremiah, tell me if we shouldn't talk about this. But uh, we've we've heard that these the replay of the Houston game should be available online at some point.
1: We've heard that there are plans to make it available online at some point. Okay, it's, and then seems fairly likely, and it I'm sure whatever happens there will be the same for the Dallas one, but do not expect to see San
0: Antonio anywhere, okay, <laughs> all right, yeah, so if anybody missed the Houston one or is not going to be able to watch the Dallas one live, we're hoping there's gonna be recordings put out sometime. We'll find out soon enough, I guess um, let's move on to briefly touch on a few points from the press conference last week, so. Uh a lot of Josh Wolf's um portion of it was leading up to um to the Houston game. Is there any highlights we wanna touch on that before we move on to the player portions i mean yeah we hit, we hit
1: on the one that I think probably really matters. so I think we could spend our time talking about what sweat and Redis said and um we we talked about this when we were preparing, but like ninety percent of Redis's interview was in Spanish, which is so I was completely lost, but you were following along and, yeah. and and had thoughts on it. Um and then I'll kind of cover sweat. So what order do you what order do you want to do those in?
0: Uh let's do sweat first. And which is this is one that I actually haven't had time to go back and watch because I was out of town all week. So uh I'll ask you questions about it. Wait, what were what were your highlights about the the bin sweat part of the press conference? Yeah, there there are a few things. One, you know,
1: it's just like everybody in all the press conferences, a lot of good stuff about the St. David's performance center. So I don't know if they're all, you know, being paid by the compliment or whatever, but we don't need to talk about that too much. But, you know, he talked about the style of play expected from the defenders, which we saw in the game, uh, on Saturday, which was, you know, everybody's involved, in the attack, everybody's involved in moving the ball forward. Um, so I think they lived up to expectations on that. And I thought for me, the most interesting part of it was when they was, cause he was a, um, he was an expansion draft pick. For Miami last year, right? For Inter Miami? Correct. Mm-hmm. And then also for Austin this year. And so they asked him to compare. Um, I think Phil might have actually been the person who asked him about the two experiences. And one of the things that he mentioned for Miami was that they had, because of COVID, they had a lot of trouble like gelling as a team. And, you know, even now, even given, I mean, COVID hasn't ended, but we're still, um, you know, we're still in that. But just the opportunities that they've had to work together have made a completely different experience as opposed to what he had in Miami. And so he had a lot of, um, good thoughts about the way that we were going to be able to build a culture in Austin and what that would look like. And then, um, the other part of that was him sort of embracing this role as a veteran who had been around the league a lot, who part of his job was to help younger players sort of understand the league, understand like the importance of training, understand where they fit in. And so he really seems to be, embracing that role is this kind of wily while well, still being a starter but also like embracing the role of being the this wily old veteran who can help make the team better and that's good to hear because you know we've heard that there's a lot of those kind of glue guys on the club and we talked about some of that before but to hear another yet another person talk about that and about that being their role i thought was really cool
0: yeah and i i think i did see one quote in writing from him on that same point and i think he was talking about Kolmanich, who is going to be competing for his spot. Right. Um, and yeah, he said like, I, I welcome it. Like, I'm happy to, to have him here and like, I, I want to show him the ropes and I'm I, like, it, it really is cool to see him embracing that and, um, encouraging that healthy competition and saying like, I'm going to show you the ropes, but you have to prove that you're going to beat me still. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I think that's really cool. Um, any, anything else from the bin sweat part?
1: No, that, that, that hit the big, that the big the key points up in sweat. So let's talk
0: about Redis a little bit. All right. Um yeah, so i f- I think it was some um, someone in the Paraguayan media that put together kind of like a supercut of all of his answers in Spanish and I watched through that. Uh, was it Roberto Rojas? I think he was on the call. I can't who, who remember if he's on the, the, the one the... Who, who put the film the video together mm-hmm. or if he sh- like retweeted it or something. I don't remember, but Okay. It may he, it may I'm have pretty, been Roberto Rojas. I'm pretty sure he was in it. Yeah. Um Anyway, yeah, there wasn't a lot of like new information about it. Um, I think my main takeaway from uh, from his portion of it was just how how much energy he has and how much personality he's showing. Um, If you've followed any of the players on social media, you'll see Rodney uh, doing like funny little dances and like making funny faces and Following him when he was in, in Guarani and like early days here, he always came across to me as kind of a a timid, shy guy. And he seems to be showing a lot of personality and a lot of confidence. Um, and yeah, just watching, watching him do that press conference. He looked like a veteran, like you wouldn't have guessed. He's a 21 year old kid, uh, doing it. He, he spoke with a lot of confidence, seemed very sure of himself, um, had a lot of energy showing some personality which yeah it's just something you haven't seen from him so i was i was just really happy to see that come out of him and then i think that showed in the game the other day he was playing confidently um making making some some uh some runs in behind demanding the ball at times looked uh, a little bit upset with Nick Lima when he didn't get it so i i i think it's it's really encouraging to see him kind of coming into the, to his own as as a confident player yeah and he scored he scored in every
1: match so far right he had one one versus okc one versus louisville and one today so he's he's definitely lighting it up
0: all right yeah let's uh let's transition to that interview with phil west again it's become kind of a tradition to have our uh how would you describe phil's relationship to to us and to our podcast he's like a uh incorrigible uncle
1: <laughs> that's a that's a good <laughs> that's good he's always gonna have a take there's gonna be some bad puns which he he did even on the uh on the live stream i believe uh so yeah he's just he's a constant figure around moon tower soccer and every other version
0: of this podcast (laughs) we love phil we're we're always happy to talk to him so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with phil west tower soccer is once again brought to you by our friends at fvf law the official injury lawyers of austin fc fvf is a different kind of personal injury law firm
1: dedicated to community transparency and client education and they are also currently in the austin chronicle poll for best lawyers so
0: landon how does one navigate toward voting for fvf law for that If you go to vote.austinchronicle.com, you can find um, all kinds of categories to vote in. There's restaurants and um, all kinds of businesses and services. And if you go to the services category and then click on lawyer, they're one of the choices for uh, best lawyer. So go in there, vote for FBF Law uh, because they're good people and we like them. For more information about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case, you can go to fvf.law. Once again, that's fvf.law. All right, our guest this week is Phil West, who's a writer for mlssoccer.com and the Striker Texas, newly of the Striker Texas. Phil, thanks so much for joining us, man.
2: Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. And yeah. I, with, feel- I'm with the Striker now. Ta-da.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting to have you have you on on the team now. I um, I feel like Phil, we've we've had you on the podcast that we've been hosting whatever the podcast may have been called at the time has probably changed right. every time, but um I think it's, this is probably the third year in a row that we've done like some sort of MLS preview with you at the start of the season. So we got to keep it going. Right. Yeah, uh, and for I sure, and,
2: and I, yeah, I was going to say last, last year was I think one of the last public soccer things that I did when we all got together and I, I think it was Oscar blues and um, sat at a very windy picnic table. And <laughs> yeah. I made a very, bunch of bad predictions that um I'm, I'm glad that people are not bringing up now because certainly you're not going to go back like five six months and pull up old tape of what i say here today and share that with
1: people. never i would i would never do that <laughs> I remember we had like one microphone to share between the two of us that i was having to pass back and forth so the technology has gotten a lot better for sure i actually uh, worked, yeah. <laughs> podcasting
0: days i listened to that episode the other day and i remembered having to like edit airplanes out of out of the show <laughs> and it was like a stereo microphone that you guys were sharing. And so like one of you was only in the left ear and one of you was in the right ear. And so it was, it was weird, but this is going to be hopefully better audio than that was. Um, uh, But yeah, let's, like I said, the goal of this is kind of do a little bit of an MLS season preview last season. We didn't have a team to actually preview, but this season Austin FC is going to be in our predictions. So um, maybe let's start off with, 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 your predictions for the teams who are going to make the playoffs in each, in each conference and um, maybe to make it more, the more exciting conference last, let's start in the East.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that this was really tough. I mean, again, this is, this is something just kind of strikes me more and more about the league every year is that you can make a case for so many teams, not all teams, but most teams that are in MLS right now uh, to actually make the playoffs, even with it being a little bit more narrow I mean, last year, obviously we had, uh the expanded post covid playoff structure where we had 10 teams in the east where you know virtually almost everybody got in which is you know why you had inner miami getting into the playoffs and then hitting the reset button like immediately after um and then you had eight teams in the west so but yeah this year it's seven and seven so it's a little bit more competitive and of course austin is team 27 so just a little over half of the teams get in so yeah really really competitive and it's gonna be i think um especially in those like kind of six to ten. Areas, I think it's going to be extremely competitive and and matches towards the end of the season are really gonna make a big difference. So um oh god, I they're they're right at the top, and I don't want to say their name, but <laughs> the team that rhymes with Balumba's brew, I think, is gonna be number one in the east.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. They are absolutely stacked. The brew are um <laughs> and they they were really good team last year and have only added stronger pieces and have gotten deeper. And so, yeah, I, I agree with that one as well.
2: Yeah. I think Kevin Molino is going to make a big difference for them in particular. So, yeah. And then number two, I've got uh new England, which All I right. think might be surprising to some people, but you kind of got to see towards the latter part of the season and in the playoffs, what Gustavo Boo and um, Carlos Hill can do when they're healthy and when they're, you know, up to speed when they're connecting and Bruce arena, I mean, say what you will about him, but he's, he's a veteran coach. He knows how to win an MLS and they, they looked really good in the playoff run. And, and I think that's going to kind of
0: continue. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think I put them third on my list, but um, yeah, I, I think they'll, they'll be pretty strong again this season as well. Uh, what yeah, about the, it? Go ahead.
2: Oh yeah. So three and four, I'm kind of, I'm kind of waffling back and forth because it kind of depends on new acquisitions and the new coach for one of the teams. Uh, But for banter purposes, I have Atlanta third and Orlando fourth.
0: All right. Yeah. You, my top four, just a different arrangement of all of that. Um, What is your, so you're, you're the coach that you mentioned, you're talking about Hainsay, and you're not just not sure like what he's going to look like or what's your concerns there?
2: Well, just yeah. I mean, just coming into MLS, I mean, it's a it's an adjustment for any new coach as good and accomplished as the coach might be. And it looks to have really interesting ideas and maybe not necessarily bringing them exactly like they were under Tata, but you know, maybe a lot closer than they were than, you know, say in the, the Frank Deboer or the Stephen Glass era, right? So uh and then Orlando, I just I you know, I, I kind of wonder what Nani has left in the tank, but I don't even think he's like the most important player. I think Pereira is. I mean, obviously, it doesn't look like Daryl DK is going to be back for them. But I think they've still got a lot of people who can score for that team and a lot of chance creators. Um, and, of course, in Rodrigo Schlegel, they have one of the best goalkeepers in the
0: league. So. <laughs> <laughs> they also added uh, Alexander Pato. Um, oh, right. Who Alduck, I'm guessing yeah. we'll maybe start. At the striker position. So I was thinking about them, I was a little bit concerned. I, I really like this Orlando team or like the Orlando team mm. of, of last season as well, which is fairly similar this season. Um and I was looking, I was originally thinking about I was like, oh, they don't have DK, so I'm not sure if they're gonna be as good this season. But adding Pato, and maybe he can make up that slack there as well. And then I think they've yeah. I can't remember the guy's name, but I think they've uh strengthened um in the midfield, added another midfielder. I can't remember his name right now, but um they a, a lot of their strongest pieces are back minus DK and they've kind of added some depth pieces in as well. So yeah, I I actually picked them second. I don't really yeah, I mean, have didn't a good reason use, why, but
2: <laughs> Yeah, they didn't actually use DK a lot of the season either. So he didn't he didn't really get slotted in as I remember till like maybe mid-season. And yeah. it didn't didn't quite look like the the DK at Barnsley. So you know, he was, he was definitely getting there. He was showing signs of that, but just what he's done over in England in the last two months has been pretty incredible. So, All um, right. not so
0: back. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be surprised if he was back in MLS. Um, so for those uh, last three spots in the East, we want to make sure and spend some time on the West where Austin FC is going to be playing. So who yeah, are your sure. last three spots in the Eastern conference?
2: Yeah. And this, and this was real tough. And I, I like, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to change up on the fly here a little bit too. Um, <laughs> I, I will say the Union fifth, I will say uh, Toronto sixth, and then I'm going to say it's between NYC and Nashville for the seventh spot. And I think, you know, NYC will probably pull in somebody from the City Football Group Network and they would edge out Nashville for that last spot but again, I think it's real competitive and I've got, I've got like DC in there. I've got the Red Bulls in there, um, you know, even like Chicago. And then I think that there's kind of a discernible drop off of the, uh, the last three spots in the East, but, but it's real close in there. I mean, I, it's going to be something I think where every where every game matters.
0: Yeah. I, I think, um, what you're saying about New York is, is spot on just because if you're talking their rosters as they sit right now, I would pick Nashville over them, but I don't necessarily expect Nashville to bring in any more players. Um, whereas New York, I can almost guarantee they're going to, and and just one, the the right player could kind of change the trajectory of that team. Um, but yeah, I, I had a hard time picking those last couple of spots there as well. Uh, Jeremiah, did you have any, any different picks in the playoffs there?
1: No, that's, I was really surprised, um, going through this about how competitive every, everything is there, you know, uh, so they, I wouldn't change. Change much more. I mean, just just overall. If you think about like Chicago, seems like they've gotten better, but still like when you look at the teams in front of them, like where's the path for them? I even think a little bit Atlanta. I wouldn't. I'm not as high on Atlanta. I think for recoveries as y'all are, I put them a little lower. I mean, I still think they'll be they'll be a playoff team, but um yeah. The competitiveness of both conferences has been surprising to me because there's not a lot of gimmies other than Cincinnati and maybe Montreal, right?
2: Yeah, and even Cincinnati, I mean, they brought in some interesting players. I mean, it's it's conceivable that they could make it click and have a little run and and get past some teams and then all of a sudden get into uh playoff position. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I mean, they what wouldn't spoon two years in a row. So, you know, it's you know, you can only you can only go up from where
0: they're at, but how much how much more up are they gonna go? It's kind of a the good question there. So nobody thinks that Miami's gonna turn it around this year.
2: Ah, see, and that's, that's a tough thing too. I mean, yeah. What is Phil Noble going to be like as a coach um, players that kind of underperformed last year? Are they going to have bounce back years? Um, you know, they, I mean, they still have a really talented squad obviously, but what are, what are they going to do with that talent and can they be cohesive and can they surpass some of those other teams that might be you know a little bit more cohesive?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch, but let's move on to, like I said, the conference that we're going to be watching a lot closer, the conference that we're going to actually be watching a lot more just because Austin is really only going to be playing teams from this conference in the West. Uh, who, who do you have up top, Phil? Uh, I'm going to be boring again. (laughs) I'm going to say LAFC. Yeah. Safe choice, right?
2: Yeah. They're just, they're, they're just so loaded. Um, they're incredibly talented and they brought in some, some players that should help their back line this year, uh, which was kind of a question mark for them last year. And yeah, they're just, I mean, they're super talented and came really close to winning a CCL, um, you know, this past year. So uh, certainly they've got the, the talent to to do those things. And then I've got Minnesota second. And uh, I want to talk about them a lot actually, because I have them, um, I have them as my pick to go to MLS Cup. I think they're going to vault from the playoffs and a lot of that has to do with um Babolo Renoso. Uh they're number 10. I guess I I would you know there there may be better kind of all-around number 10s like Pizuelo and Ladero, but I would say that Renoso is the best pure number 10 in the league right now in the playoffs. He had uh, one goal and seven assists and 253 playoff minutes. So like, if you extrapolate that out for a full season, it would just be like absolutely ridiculous numbers. And I don't think he's going to quite keep up that pace, but he's really fun to watch. And he was, he was amazing in the playoffs and, you know, they were 20 minutes in a weird collapse against the Sounders from getting the MLS cup last year. And um, They've got this new Ramon Abelagai from, from Boca as well. Um, it's a striker. They've got Patrick way, cousin of Tim, Um, who's coming on as an 18 year old homegrown. I mean, they just, they just look great. And then Portland who I think actually could make some noise in CCL starting today, guys, starting today, CCL fever. Um, Yeah. I think, I think Portland's going to be really good as well. That's, that's my, that's my top three. And then I think there's a bit of drop off after that. So any, any thoughts there?
0: Um, No, I, yeah, I did LA LAFC, Portland, Seattle, Minnesota fourth, but Okay. Again, like I think two to two to six, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those teams finished anywhere really. Um, and yeah, but Minnesota, so going back to Minnesota for a second, are you not concerned with losing what, uh, what Molino brought last season?
2: I am, but just kind of seeing way in the preseason, maybe they can make up for that. Um, I just, I just think Reynoso is so good. I mean, again, this is, this is a caveat. I mean, last year I was super high in Atlanta and Joseph Martinez injured his ACL in the very first game, which kind of rendered that prediction moot and useless. So, and I think, yeah, I think, I think Joseph and Reynoso are the the two kind of single game changer players in MLS. I think if you put them into a lineup, they make the presence felt more than anybody else. And um, I think if they, you know, if if they don't have those players in, you definitely will have a drop off with those teams. So I think that those are those are the real keys there. I had Seattle fourth, by the way, as well. I mean, I think they're going to miss Jordan Morris quite a bit, um, but I do think that um, they're they're going to be right there.
0: Yeah, I, I going mentioning Seattle. I think they're the kind of team that the last several seasons have not looked great at the beginning, but turn it mm-hmm. on whenever it counts. Oh, yeah. And so I could see them not being great and like taking some time to kind of replace those pieces (laughs) that need to and fill in those gaps, but then turning it on at the end. And so that's why I picked them a little bit lower down as well and wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. to see them get fourth or fifth, but then end up making a deep run in the playoffs still.
2: Yeah, I mean, they didn't look great down to nothing in the 70th minute of the conference finals. (laughs)
0: scored <laughs> yeah. three goals in the <laughs> last
2: 20 minutes and, and got themselves in MLS cup and then, and then did not look great in, in MLS cup, unfortunately. Um, and then, so yeah, so number five, I have SKC, which I think good, solid team. A lot of that is going to depend on Polito and just how healthy he's going to stay and just how they're, they're able to, to adjust to the changes. Um, you know, obviously Matt Biesler has come over, um, you know they weren't using him as much last season in the back line, but you know obviously veteran leadership—that's um, that's a big deal. You know I'll be curious to see. I mean there's, they've still definitely got, of course, the talent to to make the playoffs.
1: And yeah. So I'm I've sure. got. Before we go, uh, I have one bit of Seattle trivia that I did not know until okay. I was looking at this earlier, and that is Seattle has finished in the top four every year since 2009. So I feel really good. Whoa. <laughs> and saying that no matter what, to your point, like they will find a way even with uh, even Morris being gone to be in the top four. So I had the same top four. And then I had uh, Casey in fifth also.
0: Mm-hmm. That's like arson then- vinger levels right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just giant puffy jackets on the coach, no matter who
2: he is. Uh, you're speaking my language.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, getting into the business end of the uh, of mm-hmm. the playoff spots. Who do okay. you have in your last, uh, I guess, last two spots? You've gone through five, haven't you?
2: Well, yes. And for for banter purposes and a particular import to people listening here on this podcast, um, I have Austin FC sixth in their inaugural season, and then I have FC Dallas seventh.
0: All right. And, Jer- and I have the Raps just, just barely missing the playoffs in eighth. Jeremiah, does that fit with yours? Who do you have in those last few spots?
1: So I have Colorado six and Austin seven and Mm. Dallas just outside
0: of it. Mm. (laughs) So So send your
2: your angry tweets to Jay Bentley ATX.
0: (laughs) What? I just 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 wait until you hear my picks. (laughs) Okay. okay, OK, let's let's get yours. Um, I had been saying that I was expecting Austin to finish anywhere from fifth to ninth. That, that was kind of the range that I was giving them. Uh, that was before we saw the game the other day.
2: <laughs> Just one game, dude.
0: I can't in good conscience say, and you're right, it is one game, and we're going to talk about that more in the rest of the show. But um, I, for my last few spots, I have Colorado 5th, Sporting Kansas City 6th, FC Dallas 7th, and I put Austin in 8th. Um, it, that is so heartbreaking, so it hurts me to do it, but I was digging through these other teams and I, I just looking at what these teams have done, either what they're bringing back from last season and building upon or bringing in some new pieces. I, I don't see seven. I I don't see Austin being better than seven of these teams.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's going to depend on you know, Dominguez and um ceiling though. you know, if they're, if they end up being really, really good, if they end up being, you know, I, I don't think either of them will maybe be like starting 11, like in the league, but if they're kind of that caliber, if they're, you know, kind of like fringe all-star players are better then I feel like there's enough talent and enough, Coaching there to to vault them, and I think I think if they're going to come on, I think they're going to come on later in the season. Obviously, when they have more home games, when they've had more of a chance to to learn the system and to get acclimated and comfortable with one another.
0: I mean, you also uh, mentioned bringing on extra players. There's still that one DP spot to fill, which could totally turn turn things around. And you you only need to be good for was it Sam Jones when was on the other the other week saying you only need to be good in MLS for two months really, right? And so.
2: Yeah, now Alex Ring was saying that. I mean, I think I think they're kind of relishing this idea of dark horse. Maybe we can we can come on late and do this. I mean, I don't know that they're saying that out loud, but maybe maybe that's what you know, kind of the the feeling is, is if they can just hang and learn with the system and get points and stay relevant and stay in the hunt and they can really make that late season push and then um, get into the playoffs. And then, you know, who knows what happens in the playoffs? Because, again, it is it is wild and wonderful and it's very, very hard um, to, to go back to MLS Cup, even let alone win it. Um, which is why I think that the team that rhymes with Columbus Brew, as good as they are, um, will not repeat. Just for that fact, I mean, it hasn't happened since uh, the Galaxy did it in 11 and 12. And I mean, they went back and won it in 14. You know, obviously Obviously, you know, as close to a dynasty team as we've had in a while, you know, count the Sounders, right. But um, it's it's still, it's really, it's really tough to come back just with the the playoffs and the competition and and just with the, the level of teams in both conferences. I mean, I think, you know, LAFC, they have to get there, they have to prove it. And for Columbus, they, they have to return with everybody just kind of looking for them, you know, got New England, Atlanta, Orlando, Philly, you know, all those, all those teams conceivably could get into MLS Cup.
0: Uh, yeah, so all the hate mail that you were going to send to Jeremiah for picking <laughs> Dallas ahead of us, you can send to me for not picking us to make the playoffs. Um, I think you already gave us one of your MLS Cup picks, but who do you have going to MLS Cup and who do you think will win it? I mean, the East I'm still I'm still kind of hemming and hawn. Um I mean a lot of that is just gonna depend on
2: on Joseph and how well he's recovered. I mean, if he's back to full Joseph, then I think Atlanta gets in there just because he wills that. Um, but again, we don't know what the new players are going to look like. I mean, obviously last year, the the DPs that they had in there did not necessarily do what they what they wanted them to do. So, I mean, obviously it's going to be a um, big, big test for them this year. Um, I think New England's got a really good shot, frankly. And so Minnesota, New England, which I think will be a cold MLS Cup either way. Um, and i would just i would say at that point that that minnesota i mean if i'm if minnesota is going to get to mls cup um it's because Reynoso is going to have an mvp style season and so i would expect him to do electric incredible things in mls cup and win it for them and you know if it's home there's wonderwall and you know, be a pretty, pretty special moment for them. I think it'd be, you know, pretty, pretty fun, pretty entertaining to watch. Um, but my heart says that, you know, Austin just does the double, right? So, um, <laughs> wins the US Open Cup, uh, you know, a little redux to, you know, Chicago Fire 1988 expansion team that did that. I believe that was a Louis Verde's trivia question because Andrew Urban was asking me. For <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> answers um, a few days ago. So, yeah.
1: Um, that was a Bob Bradley team, wasn't it?
2: I believe it
1: was. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go the exact opposite weather wise. I'm going to go with LA Orlando. Is okay. the Final.
2: And again, I and can see a case will, that, for that. That'll
1: be a warm That will, That will be a warm final. And <laughs> I just, for the sake of you and people who like to taunt Orlando nonstop, which is a thing I always appreciate. What? Just, I'm going to say that <laughs> LAFC, that? Fi- LAFC <laughs> finally, after years and years of trying, decades of uh, trying and failing lafc finally wins their first mls cup this year
2: and i mean what puts them over the over the top this year
1: do you think i mean they've got all the talent in the world right so Mm -hmm. then just to your point which you've told me before about how the playoffs don't matter if they just they can all if they get hot at the right time they're the they're the deepest squad in the league and just the law of averages are that eventually it's going to work out to where the results match the talent
2: Right so you mean regular season doesn't matter right not playoffs don't matter.
1: Oh sorry. Yes, yeah. regular season doesn't matter. <laughs> Only playoffs matter. The opposite of what I said. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well I mean and with that I mean the I still I mean I think they're going to finish obviously enough to where they're going to get home matches and hopefully we're going to be at the point of the season where we'd be able to have fans and yeah then you'd be able to see you know, the, the LA fan base, which has been fantastic when they've been able to be in the stadium um, and, and just have that electricity and yeah, just, just see what that can do to to kind of turn the energy and, and help. Cause yeah, I mean, last year it was just um, CCL was super weird. Yeah, I mean, it always is, but to, to have it in a completely empty stadium in Orlando was just, yeah, really, really, really bizarre. So.
0: Hey Jeremiah, what was this Twitter question? Oh, I didn't well, want I didn't, I to set that up wrong because I wasn't sure what the oh, okay. context was there. Well, the Twitter question is actually one from
1: We Are Austin awesome TV that they had for us when we did our uh, live stream. But I thought it was a good question. That is, who is Austin's top goal scorer going to be? And we both said Danny Hooson on Thursday. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to overreact to one preseason match, but I thought it would be good to ask Phil his opinion on that. And maybe we could give ourselves a chance to walk that back. So uh, who do you see being in that spot, Phil?
2: I mean, it'd have to be Hosen just because I see him as a system number nine and I see what they're trying to do um, in terms of the teaching, in terms of how they're setting this up um, to to work that system to to get him a lot of chances. Um, but it could be Dominguez. But I'm actually – I was thinking about this question a lot actually – um, and since you had it on the last podcast and I'm thinking either Mana or Redis are going to have, they're going to be near the top for goals per 90. I think they'll come on as impact subs a lot, or, you know, maybe Redis will start a game, go 60, and then they'll pull in like, you know, fagundas for the last 30 or something like that. And I could, I could see them getting a lot of goals, for, you know, relative to their their time on the field. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you would have to hope that it's that's hosen given the system what they're trying to do and what they're trying to to work and the kind of idea of playing from the back and um, you know, just the the chance creation that they're they're trying to do and some of the stuff that we've, you know, maybe didn't see in the um the game against Houston, but that we've seen in some of the highlight reels in the um the USL warm-up games that they've had. But but here's another, here's okay, here's here's the the weird X factor LAFC has one DP spot left. Austin FC has one DP st- spot left. What if it's Sergio Aguero coming in this
0: season? <laughs> I, I was actually going to say I think there's a decent chance that the top goal scorer isn't on the team yet. Right. Um and it's whoever that DP is they bring in a couple of months into the season if they bring in a number 9 or whoever it is, there's a good chance it's going to be on that attacking half and might be the person that ends up scoring a lot of those goals. So um, whether or not it's Cuneguerro, do you do you think that's possible? Do you think that will actually happen, or could actually I mean, I happen? Think,
2: I think if he goes, I think if he goes to MLS, I mean, obviously, you know, City Football Group, NYCFC, has probably got a real good shot at him given those connections. Um, you know, but again, I mean, Claudio's got connections from his time there, so maybe there's enough there where that could work. I could also see LAFC be completely appealing and they could just be this team of behemoths is kind of, you know, Kevin Durant joins the warriors kind of situation where, you know, that he joins them and they just, they, they score six nothing on everybody the rest of the way uh, that could certainly happen. But yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, and again, it's, it's it's getting to be less of a league where you can have European players late in their career, come over and make huge impacts. But you know, I, I still think he's got enough to where he could absolutely do that. I think he would wreck yeah. shop if he came
0: here. I agree. I, I agree that he would wreck shop if he came to MLS. I don't really think that he'll come to Austin. I <laughs> He he is still going to be extremely expensive. He's making sure. many, many millions of dollars per year, more than probably any other MLS player is or will make at that point in time. And I just don't like looking at pre track record. I think he's going to spend more here than he did in Mm -hmm. Columbus, but I don't think he's going to spend Kun money.
2: So if you're an Austin FC fan and you want this to happen, buy more jerseys. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like a lot, like buy 10 for everybody in your family. (laughs) Live at the Verde van. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like he's what 32. I mean, he's not, if, if he comes here and succeeds, whether it's an Austin or not, I don't feel like it's uh reinforces the retirement league. No, I don't either. Because yeah. I think, all, I think like every league in the world would love to have a guy like that that's been that good for that long, you know? And so that's, so. I mean, I think that's the challenge for MLS. It's like lots of places are going to want to have him and pay him a lot of money.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, is there any other points that either of you guys wanted to hit before we wrap up?
1: I want Phil to pick his MVP. We don't spend a lot of time on it, but I want to know, because this is going to be the thing I'm going to clip and uh, taunt him about later <laughs> <when it's done. laughs> So, so i want it on the record
2: so i think i think i already said that but let me yeah let me hedge bets a little bit since you've given me a chance to do that um so i will say that if reynoso has the form that he had in the playoffs this past year he will definitely running away get it unless joseph martinez has a monster season comes back and scores in like the 25 to 30 goal range but then also carlos Vela is a good Picks. so those are those are my three
0: so
2: <laughs> i i dare anybody who is not reynoso uh, martinez or Vela to, to win mvp so it'll probably yeah, be or something
0: zellerayon posuelo could <laughs> could get some shots in there um, oh for sure but yeah. yeah i i think my two picks would be reynoso and Vela for sure i think mm-hmm. seeing reynoso just play a whole season is going to be really cool and then Vela, I think if, I mean, if LAFC is going to be as good as we think they're going to be, he's going to have to be one of the guys to to kind of pull that along. So yeah, for sure. um, yeah I think one of those two. All right. Well, Phil, thanks so much for joining us. It's a, it's a pleasure every time. We'll try to have you back on again sometime soon, but uh, yeah, time. where can, where can our listeners find you?
2: Well, uh, you can now find me on the strikertexas.com and I'll be Doing columns there every Friday, and we're talking about some other things that I might be doing, some some kind of fun things to provide cons, you know, a kind of combination of insights as to, you know, matchups and things of that nature. And then this also uh, kind of fun, entertaining things as well. Um, Maybe even within the same articles. So yeah. So just look for that. It's going to, it's going to evolve and it's going to be really fun. And uh, it's going to be a really cool vantage point for the season. And then I still will be doing some matches for MLSsoccer.com as well. So you can find me there. Um, I am booked for uh, opening weekend doing Nashville um, against Cincinnati, <laughs> so that'll, I am back on the Nashville beat, apparently, <laughs> so, which, which I, which I enjoy, it should be, it should be fun, actually, I, I'm kind of curious to see how they're, they're evolving, and then, you know, also Cincinnati, that's gonna, that first game, may answer some questions about how well uh, the offseason went for them, and then, yeah, just Phil West on Twitter is where you can find me, um, you know, just having, having fun, and responding to people, and um, mm-hmm. occasionally spotlight my own stuff.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for joining us, Phil. It's been a blast as always. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, man. All right. We want to thank Phil West one more time for joining us. Before we wrap up, we would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It will help our audience grow, expose us to more people as more people started paying to Austin FC as the, the season approaches. Uh, if you want to continue the soccer conversation, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at LV Hero Harrow and Jeremiah, you are at. uh Bentley underscore ATX. Uh, yeah. We're always looking to connect with people, uh, talk more about soccer. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter doing that most of the time. Uh, we also want to ask you to visit the Striker Texas website. Uh, what's an article they should look for, Jeremiah? Well, one of the things we didn't have time to get into on the show today were all the
1: local food vendors that were going to be involved in the stadium. Um, and they're and they're a lot I'm I'm very impressed. It's a lot of them, the, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of a lot of local restaurants. Um, one of them I think is particularly interesting is Pluckers because Phil West and Mark Bay from the Striker both have some kind of bet related to eating a bunch of wings i don't know exactly what it is but there's like a little twitter fight between the two so i think it
0: has to do with um fc dallas and austin's finish in the table like if one finishes above the other if austin finishes above dallas then mark has to eat do like the hottest hot wing challenge at pluckers and uh the other way around if um if dallas beats Austin in the, in the final table.
1: So you should, yeah. So that we love a good like Twitter food challenge, <laughs> which will be recorded. Maybe we'll do like a moon tower live <laughs> for the, for, for that battle. But yeah, check that article out and kind of see what the club has going on at the stadium.
0: All right. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of moon tower. Soccer we will be back in one week with more of uh, the latest Austin FC news, including a review of the next match. Uh, against FC Dallas, we're also going to have our friend and self-proclaimed soccer analyst Chris Wellhausen join us to do a preview of the LAFC match, and then we're also going to talk to Mike Craven, who is the Austin FC beat writer for the Austin American Statesman. Until then, my name is Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time.